This sermon, A Powerful Invitation, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, July 11, 2021 at Sovereign Grace Church. We are coming to the end of James, and as we, as we uh, enter into this second to the last sermon in our study, I want to ask you a question as you turn to James 5. If you had to identify one thing you believe would have the greatest impact on both your spiritual growth and the spiritual growth of your church, this church, what would you say? What would that one thing be? A greater focus on parenting? Less TV and more Bible study? Adult Sunday school? Greater efforts toward the lost? Some of you might say shorter sermons. I know what you're thinking out there. What would you say? How would you answer that question? I think if James were here today, he'd be thinking a thriving prayer life. A thriving prayer life. Out of all the ways that James could close this precious letter that I trust you have all benefited from very much, he closes with two pretty ordinary but exceptionally powerful exhortations. Next week, we'll see that he closes by saying, pursue one another. But this week, he says, in light of all I've written, prioritize prayer. Prioritize prayer. If you're taking notes, the big idea, the big point, the main emphasis of this text and this sermon this morning is this. Prayer is a powerful gift from God that he calls us to prioritize in every aspect of life. Prayer is a powerful gift. It's an invitation from God himself, and he calls us to receive that invitation. Indeed, as we'll see in the text, he commands us to prioritize prayer in every respect of life. So with that under our belts, would you stand with me? And we're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. So let's read, pray, and we will begin to dig in. James 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You may be seated. Let's pray. <laughs> After hearing that word seven times in those short verses, Lord, Oh, Lord, thank you for already filling our hearts with the glory of Calvary this morning. Lord, whether it was the call to worship, the communion, or the songs we sang, we are are already reminded of the vastness and the broadness of your love for us that was shown in Christ Jesus. Lord, what a privilege to be called your children. And so, Lord, we we come to your word this morning. You are Abba, Father. You have spoken to us. We find your purposes and your will and your designs and your desires for us right here in your word. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come to your word, that we would come with humble hearts, that your spirit would cause us to have contrite spirits, and that, Lord, we would benefit much, that the next few minutes would be profitable for us, not because we nailed down some application, not because we heard something that made us feel good about ourselves, but because through your word, In the name of Jesus and in the power of your spirit, we engage with you. And so, Lord, move on as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer is a powerful gift from God that he calls us to prioritize in every aspect of life. That is the primary point of our text this morning, and I have broken that down into a number of different points. And so we are going to, uh, if you're taking notes, the priority of prayer in hard times, the priority of prayer in good times, the priority of prayer in sickness, and the priority of prayer in our fellowship. You probably didn't get all that because I just rattled through it. That's okay. As we go, they will be on the screen for you. But let's look first at James' opening words. He says, uh, he says that, that actually he begins with a series of questions. There's a number of questions that he poses in this text. And the very first thing that we see is James reminds us of the priority of prayer even in, and especially in, if you will, hard times. James begins with this question. Did you notice it in verse 13? He says, is anyone among you suffering? Now listen, you should know this if you've been paying attention over the last 20 weeks. James had numerous concerns for his original audience, but his most pressing concern was for their suffering. As religious exiles, their trials were tremendous. Their suffering was substantial. 
How should they respond? They've been driven from, from their own lands, from their own homes. They're scattered. They're no longer with James on the Lord's day. He was their pastor, but, but now he's pastoring them through this letter, afar from afar. How should they respond? What should they do? How should they act? James tells us here. He says, are you suffering? And I think in context, this is in particular, suffering on account of your faith. Are you suffering? What should you do? James says, pray. Notice how he answers that question. Let him pray. That's an invitation, but it's also a command. In the original language, that is an imperative. If you are suffering, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. One of the things that we see here is that for James, the prayer was the most basic and highest response to trials and suffering. Why? Why didn't James give them some, something practical, something pragmatic, something they could really, you know, wrap their arms around? Well, here's why. Because what we need most in our suffering, only God can provide. Only God can provide. See, when we think about suffering, suffering is really a means and an opportunity to feel our desperate need for God in order to experience the gracious and powerful work of God for our good and his glory. And a primary way that we experience that work is through prayer. It's through prayer. So James says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If you are suffering today, if you are suffering today, the Lord calls you to embrace the divine kindness and, and his mercy towards you in this command, this invitation to pray. Pray for God's strength to endure the trial. We heard about patient endurance over the last few weeks. Pray. Are you suffering? Pray for God's strength to endure the trial. Pray for the Spirit's comfort in the suffering. Pray for the wisdom of God for the trial. We saw that early on in James 1.5. Pray for, for, for God's glory to be known through your suffering. Pray for Christ to be formed in you even as you suffer. Pray for the gospel to advance as a result of your suffering. I've encountered over the years certain people with serious health issues or finding themselves in, in very serious situations. And there are some who they have one thing in mind. I hope that through this, someone will come to know Jesus. Pray for the gospel to advance as a result of your suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? James says, let him pray. 
And if, those are, if that's James' advice, I think it's safe to assume that a better response to suffering does not exist. There are a lot of things we can do when we are suffering. But above all, pray. Second, he says that the priority, second, he draws our attention to the priority of prayer in good times. Notice the second question there uh, that James asks in verse 13. He says, is anyone cheerful? Is anyone cheerful? We know because we know that there were some, not a lot, but there were some people, despite the circumstances, despite being uh, dispersed across the region, that there were some who who were experiencing prosperity. There were some who, who uh, were not feeling it in the way that most of the other saints were. There were some there who didn't carry the burden of the suffering in the same way that others did. James says, for that person, it's no different. Are you cheerful? Are you of good spirit? That's actually what that means, being of good spirit. It doesn't, doesn't so much have to do with your circumstances, but about your disposition, if you will, in the midst of your circumstances. Are you cheerful? Pray. And so one of the things that we see here from James is that whether it's spiritual or it's physical prosperity, one thing that we know for certain is that prosperity is a test. The, the, the prosperous, those who, who are doing well, even as believers, we are tempted, we are tempted to lose sight of our lowliness before God. And when that happens, what happens? We become proud, right? We, 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 we become self-sufficient. So James, James says in verse 13, listen, are things going well? Pray. Pray. If you're wondering, well, Derek, where's the word prayer in there? Because I think the, my Bible says sing praises to God. Well, you're right, it does. But in its essence, singing praises is simply a form of prayer. Just think about the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms are songs, but they are songs that are sung as prayers. So James says where the suffering are to seek comfort from God, the cheerful are to give glory to God for his provision through prayers of gratitude. This morning, pre-service prayer, Scott McLeod led us through the prayers of gratitude, of thankfulness for God's work, for the privilege of belonging to Christ and to be able to serve. We were thanking God. James says, yes, things are going well. Pray. And listen, James readers and us, I don't know about you, but, but I need, I need this reminder in verse 13. And here's why. When we are suffering, our temptation is to blame God and do what? Grumble, right? But when we are doing well, Our temptation is to forget God and boast. And James says the remedy for both is prayer. Prayer that focuses us 
on our Savior. Prayer that focuses us, takes our mind, our thoughts off of the things of this world, off of the horizontal, and lifts us up. Prayer that, 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 that expresses our joyful acceptance of God's will, regardless of what it might be in your life, in that moment, and our faith-filled acknowledgement that God is our sufficiency. I'm not doing well because I'm getting it. <laughs> I'm doing well because God and his love and wisdom and sovereignty is taking me along lovely paths. I love what James Motier says about this. He says, our whole life, we might say, should be so angled towards God that whatever strikes upon us, whether sorrow or joy, should be reflected upwards at once into his presence. There's a word for that. You know what it is? Pray. That's what prayer does. It angles us upwards. And we are called in good times and bad times to pray. Third, he says he draws attention to the priority of prayer and sickness. Notice verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So James here, James moves from personal prayers. Anyone, are you sick? Are you, or excuse me, are you, are you, are you suffering? Are you uh, cheerful? Pray. And then he moves to pursuing prayer from others. Are you sick? Then pursue prayer. The fact that, that James says call for your elders probably means that, that this sickness is serious. It probably means that, that this person that James has in mind, and remember, listen, James is writing to people. He doesn't know all of them, but he knows some of them. As he writes, I can only imagine certain faces coming to his mind. He would know some who are so ill that they really can't get up and go to their pastors. James says, don't let that stop you. No, you pursue prayer by pursuing your pastors. Ask them to come to you to pray for you. And I just want you to know, as your pastor, it's a privilege. It's a, it's a, it's a deep privilege for Tim and I to be able to pray for you. And we do. We do. But James' point here isn't that your pastors have special powers. I, I, I've been to Bolivia a couple times and when we have went out into the jungle, it's, it's a real jungle down there. When we went out into the jungle to some of these village churches, uh, they would come direct. If they knew your pastor, they're not getting prayer from anybody else. <laughs> they're coming right to you. I said, Chris, well, all these people, lying. he says, yeah, Derek, he said, you're a pastor, and they've got this view. <laughs> and you're an American pastor which means you are a rock star. You might as well be John Piper, he said. <laughs> but they're going to come to you because you're a pastor. That's not what James is doing here. That's not what James is doing. 
His point here isn't that that Tim and I have special powers. And his point isn't that that anointing oil is a secret sauce. Anointing oil was something that, whether, whether, whether they believed that it had medicinal purposes or it was symbolic and represented the, the healing presence of the Holy Spirit, the point here isn't that, that anointing oil is secret sauce. In all the commands in this text, it's not a command to use anointing oil. This is not a biblical requirement. The point that James is making here is pursue prayer. Are you sick? Pursue prayer and call for the men that God has entrusted and commissioned to shepherd your soul. That's a good place to start. As we'll see later on, we're to to pray for one another. But James says pursue prayer. Now listen, to be clear, James is not prohibiting medicine. (laughs) Let's not go there. James is not prohibiting doctors. He is prescribing the practice of prayer. Christians can go to the doctor. I know that I don't think, you know, there are some weird beliefs out there, and I don't think any of you hold this belief, but but we're not immune. It's not wrong for a Christian to go to a doctor. A Christian just goes to a doctor differently. You know what I mean by that? A Christian never goes to the doctor or takes medicine apart from going to God. God is still our healer. He is still our answer. As Christians, we never just completely rely on medicine. The medicine, is, it may be something that, that, that you participate in, but you never take that medicine apart from praying to God to heal you, to sustain you, to strengthen you. Why? Well, James tells us in verse 15, because it's God alone that heals. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, in the prayer of faith, will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. I think that save him who is sick and raise him up, that word save can be used two ways. It can be salvific, or it can be physical healing. I think here, raise him up and save, I think the point is physical healing. Not everybody would agree with that. But he says, at the end of verse 15, then he says this, and the Lord will raise him up. And the Lord will heal. Through the prayer of faith, the Lord will heal. Now, what is that? What is that? The prayer of faith. That's an interesting term. Well, I can tell you what it isn't. It's not a formula, and it's not a relic of antiquity. Both of those ideas flow from theological error. In fact, Mr. Blomberg Blomberg addresses this when he writes, somewhere in our prayers, we must find a balance between never expecting God to heal and requiring him to heal on demand. Both those views flow from theological error. 
and we must avoid them. Mr. Blomberg is very wise. Somewhere we need to find the sweet spot between never expecting God to heal and demanding that he heal on our request. And I think the prayer of faith and that sweet spot is this. The prayer of faith believes that God hears our prayers and he alone is able to do more than we can ask or imagine while gladly submitting to his sovereign will. Did you get that? Expectation and trust. Why pray if God can't do more than we could think or imagine according to Ephesians 3? And at the same time, God's will will be done. We learned a few weeks ago, don't boast about tomorrow. Rather say, we will go here and we will do that if the Lord wills. So great expectation because because we know who our God is and the one we pray to and trust that God is sovereign and his will will come to pass. See, James' words here need to be understood. Prayer of faith, whatever, whatever definition you give that, it needs to be shaped and informed by the rest of Scripture. And that's what we see in the rest of Scripture. Yes, God alone can heal. And at the same time, he has a sovereign plan ordained before the foundations of the world, and nothing can thwart it. So the power here to, the power is, is not in the pastor. It's not in the oil. It's not in the intensity of my faith. It's not in the resolve to name it and claim it. Whether it is miraculously in this life or in heaven or through medicine or surgery or time, James says in verse 15, God alone heals. And we know, we know that he does so according to his wisdom and his purposes. And he is able. So James says, pray. Pray. Now, notice verse 15 again, because before we move on, there's something here we need to understand correctly for the sake of our prayers. Notice what he says again in verse 15. I know we just read it, but we'll read it again. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What does that mean? If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Is he referring to salvation here? Is James referring to sanctification? I think the answer is sanctification. What we know that sickness is the result of Adam's sin in the garden, right? In a general sense. We get sick because Adam sinned. At the same time, 
If you're familiar with the story of Jesus in John 9, what did Jesus say to the onlookers about, I think it was a blind man. He said, listen, this didn't happen because of specific personal sin. This happened for the glory of God. And that was a common assumption in antiquity, that your sickness was connected to your sin. But Jesus was clear. He said, listen, that's not the situation here. So we know that that sickness is the result of sin ultimately, and we know that 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 our sickness isn't always a result of sin. However, personal sin can be the cause of sickness according to 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul rebukes the Corinthians for their sinful participation in communion when they gathered. And this is what he said to them. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. So when James writes, and if he has committed sins, note it's if. It's not because, that's important. If, not because, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. When James writes that, he leaves open the possibility that the sick person is sick because of personal sin. Now, don't run with that. (laughs) Don't think if you got the flu that that, uh, you got some secret sin. And if you were spared from COVID, don't think that that's a sign of how you're growing in godliness, okay? But it does shape our thoughts. It does shape our prayers. Because when we pray for physical healing, we should pray for spiritual transformation. When we pray for a healed body, we should also pray for a contrite heart. When we pray for God to heal, we should also pray that he will reveal. I don't believe we should ever just pray for God to heal someone's body, but to pray that God would use that. Think about being sick. Think about being ill. Think about being on your back. You are a captive audience. I'm kind of a baby when I get sick. Donna will attest to this. No doubt about it. And when I'm sick, you know this, I feel my humanity like never before. I I have an acute sense of how finite I am, how weak I am, how much inability I have. And it's in those moments It's in those moments that that we are brought lowly in a unique way. And oftentimes it's in those moments when we are more tuned in to the Spirit's work. Job cried out in his afflictions. He was acutely aware. It's in those moments where we can get a smaller picture of ourselves and a bigger picture of God. And so let's not just pray for healing. Let's pray for heart revealing. Because you never know what the Lord 
has laid you low for. <laughs> Amen? Now, I think that's why James immediately says in verse 16, moving to our final point here, the priority of prayer and fellowship. Notice in verse 16, again, he says, excuse me, hopefully I don't have some unconfessed sin in my heart, cold coming on. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Thank you, babe. The priority of prayer in our fellowship is what I want you to see here in verse 16. Because prayer is to be a priority, and sin can affect how we benefit from prayer, James says, make sure your fellowship is marked by two things, confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another. And I think this, this confession isn't general sins. I think it's relational sins. James doesn't say that, so let's be careful uh, 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 of how we hold that. But, but I think, given the context of James, this James is addressing people with real relational issues. He, he has come hard with the tongue. He has come hard. We, we've heard it quarreling and fighting, showing partiality. There was envy and self-ambition, evil speech. The, 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 these people, as scattered as they were, the, the, there was a lot of division. There was a lot of relational conflict in the audience that James is writing to. And I think that's his point here. James says, listen, you want physical healing? You want spiritual restoration? You want sovereign grace, church, to be healthy and fruitful? Encourage one another in your fellowship. Always. Serve one another. Absolutely. But remember, confess your sin to that brother or sister that you sinned against. Confess your sins to one another and pray. Pray for one another. I read one commentator just said, I think James believed that confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another would lead to a very healthy church, both spiritually and physically. Now, I think he's probably right. I think we should see James' instruction here. It's practical and it's real and it challenges us. But it seems clear even though it's hard for us to grasp and understand. So here's what James does in these verses. He says, are you suffering? Are you cheerful? Are you sick? Are you in relational conflict? What's the remedy? Pray. In fact, James Calvin puts it this way. James means that there is no time in which God does not invite himself to us. 
pray. If you want to hear this from God's perspective, I think Calvin got it. Through James, God is saying, pray, ask me, come to me. Are you suffering? Are you ill? Are you, are you fighting arrogance because things are going well? Is there strife in your relationships? Pray, bring it to me. It is this open invitation from a gracious God who can do more than we can ask or imagine. Now, we've just looked at six commands. Let him pray, let him sing, let him call for the elders, let them pray over him, confess your sins, pray for one another. Each one of those are imperatives in the original. But James' desire here is not merely to tell us what to do. He wants to inspire us. He wants to inspire the church to pray with faith, with expectations, and with boldness. And so I love how he ends this moment of instruction. He ends by not just telling us pray. He ends by reminding us of the power of prayer. Look at verse 16. He says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then he points us to a great prophet. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Listen, I was thinking about Elijah and I was thinking about... Why, why, why doesn't James just tell us to pray? Well, if you're like me, prayer can seem unimpressive at times. It can seem ineffective, right? It's easy to kind of almost despise prayer and get on with the practical solutions. But James here tells us the prayer of a righteous man has great power that is waiting to be tapped into. And he uses the prophet Elijah to show us. Did you notice he said, Elijah, he was a man with a nature just like ours. You know what that means? He was just like you and I. Now, I read that this week and I was like, wait a minute, time out. (laughs) Elijah? This guy was fed by ravens. He was an Old Testament prophet. This guy raised a young boy back to life. Elijah is like me? This guy never died. Instead was taken up in a whirlwind into the heavens on chariots of fire being pulled by horses that were on fire. Elijah's not like me. And he's not like you. But he is. He was just like us. Elijah had his spiritual highs and lows. He wrestled with faith and fear. Go read 1 Kings 19 this week. You will find this great prophet running from trouble, so afraid and discouraged that he became suicidal. He was a mess. He was a sinner. Just like you and I. 
That's what James means when he says he had a nature like ours. And yet James puts him up as this righteous man of prayer. See, here's the thing about Elijah. In all of that, he kept trusting God. He kept following the Lord. You, you, you read 1 Kings 17 through 19, and you find a man of prayer. He kept praying through it all. That word fervently in verse 17, it's not so much about an intensity. The, meaning, the literal meaning is he prayed with prayer, meaning he just kept on praying. He just kept on seeking the Lord. This man was a man of prayer, and God worked powerfully through his prayers. Even according to James' example, directing the weather patterns. And you know what? The righteous person in verse 16 is you. It's me. It's the person who by grace keeps trust in the Lord. It's not the person who's got it all figured out and has a righteousness of their own. It's the person who keeps by grace trusting the Lord, who keeps following his ways, who keeps enduring in the faith, who keeps resting in Christ day in, day out, and that rest and that enduring and that following is expressed on our knees. So simple. So ordinary. Pray. That was Elijah when he was fearful and ran and felt like committing suicide. The story says he prayed. Listen, you're like Elijah. And you pray to the same God that Elijah prayed to. We pray to the God who moves universes, commands the weather, and orders life and death itself just like Elijah. And just like Elijah, we belong to God. The promise, the promise in verse 16 is not about your righteousness. It's about the power that God works through prayer that comes from the one who exalts themselves by becoming low on their knees. Heard somebody say one time, we are always in the highest position when we are low on our knees. And this power, this promise of the power of prayer it is for all who believe in Christ. See, what qualifies you as a righteous person, the righteous person, verse 16, is not what you do or how you do it. It is who you know. 
who you know. And if you know Jesus by faith, then your sins are forgiven. You bear the righteousness of Jesus. You stand justified before God. No wrath for me on that final day. And your prayer, see, this is, the, this is where we stop. Don't stop there. And your prayers are powerful and effective, comma, according to and in keeping with the purposes and wisdom of God for you, comma, because of the one to whom you pray. Again, quoting Mr. Motir, that is the part of the wonder of the way of prayer. Those who by grace have been given the status of righteousness in God's sight have been brought into the realm where effective prayer operates and have been given the right to exercise a ministry of prayer. This is yours. In Christ Jesus. The privilege and the opportunity to pray with faith and expectation and boldness. Elijah prayed that it would rain in a drought. That's a bold prayer. pray with boldness, to pray with expectation, to pray with faith, and to pray with trust in the sovereign will of God. This is the promise. If you're a new believer in Christ, this promise is for you. If you've been struggling in, in your prayer life lately, this in Christ, this promise is for you. If you've never seen an answered prayer, Pastor, I've never seen that. Pastor, I've never seen somebody healed. This promise is for you. It doesn't matter what you've seen, it matters what God says. If you're not comfortable praying in a big group, in Christ, this promise is for you. If you are a young saint or an old saint, in Christ, this promise of the power of prayer is for you. If you are an unbeliever, this promise is not for you. But it can be yours. By grace, through faith, expressed in humbling your heart, even right now, and saying, Lord, I'm a great sinner. Cover me with the blood of my only Savior, Jesus Christ. And the greatest power that you can ever experience will be experienced in that moment when in the mercy of God, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit quickens your soul to have faith and believe in the one that we celebrated a communion this morning. And from the cross, in his last words, his dying breath, he said, 
it is finished. For all who come to me by faith, their sins will be covered in my blood. My righteousness will be their robe before the throne of God above. And they will forever stand justified in the presence of my Father. And one day, I will bring them into my presence. So, Christian, pray. Whatever your lot, whatever your prospects, pray. Pray with faith. Pray with expectation. Pray with boldness. Because you pray to a God who is able.